I'll tell you about a time when I had a real glory sighting. Katie and I, uh, a number of years ago, managed to take a trip to the Lake District in northwest England, uh, which is an area that might be familiar to anyone who's uh, a fan of uh, the tale of Peter Rabbit and other um, P- Beatrix Potter uh, stories. That's, that's her story land. But there, uh, Katie and I, we hiked to the top of a mountain called Cat Bells, which actually features in one of, the, one of her stories. It, it was a rather um, nasty day. It was windy and rainy, uh, but I didn't mind because we were on an adventure. And uh, the hike took us up a ridge where there was a lake, Derwent Water, on the left, and a valley, a sheep-filled valley with our farmhouse B&B on the right. And after a relatively steady climb and some, you know, scrambling up a few uh, steep rock areas, uh, we were rewarded with the most satisfying summit experience I've ever had. Because despite the weather... This summit was truly panoramic. You know, a lot of places, there, there's the, the, just the formation of the land is such that you can't really see very well. Maybe there's trees. This is all deforested. But you look around, and in every place, you can see the ground at the base of the mountain. And so, you know, even better than that, though, was as we summited, we looked out over the lake And the clouds broke open and there were these rays of light that were shining down on the valley. And it was just one of those moments where I I stood in awe, in awe of God. Um, And the scene itself was incredible, but it was pointing to, to something else. It was pointing to the fact that the rain and the winds would soon end and uh, that bright sunshine was going to cover the whole landscape And I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that, a a moment where you were just full of awe, full of wonder. And, you know, words always fail to describe that type of experience, don't they? and, And these moments can really often leave you speechless. But it's as if reality, you know, true reality, um, bursts into, uh, the mundane, And we might even say that it's as if the veil between heaven and earth has become thin for a time. And we're able to see what is usually hidden from us. But here's the thing. um, The sense of the glory of God that I got several years ago from that storybook mountaintop view. It's dwarfed by the awe-inspiring sight of what the disciples saw on the mountain of transfiguration. Because on that day, Jesus' appearance was changed. And the word that is usually translated transfigured is uh, the same word in the Greek from which we get our word metamorphosis. There's a transformation that happens. You know, these these are more than just a a few rays of sunshine falling on Jesus' very bright clothing. Um, 
in the words of Second Peter, uh, this is not some cleverly devised story or myth. You know, Peter says, we saw it. This was a historical event that Peter, James, and John got to witness. And the experience of, of Jesus' face uh, shining, it's impossible to capture fully in words, I think, but, but the scene really just begins there. Because then, beside Jesus, appear Moses and Elijah, two, two of the great heroes from Israel's past who themselves had had profound mountaintop experiences. And then Peter, oh Peter, <laughs> he, he just can't help himself. He, he tries to put, put the situation into words. And, you know, he says, this is great. Let's, let's pitch some tents for the three of you. And, you know, whenever I think of Peter uh, saying that, I kind of picture in my mind uh, Eddie Murphy playing the donkey from Shrek. Like, you know, we could stay up late swapping manly stories in the morning. I'll, I'll bake waffles. You know, it's, he's just excited. But Peter, he doesn't, get to, he doesn't get to go on with his inevitable offer for waffles, I, I would presume. Um, you would think, though, that Peter bursting in like that, that he would have ru- ruined the moment. But instead, things just keep getting more powerful. Because it says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And, a, and from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so the story in Matthew's gospel up until this point has begun progressively darker. And it's clear that Jesus is facing opposition, and, and that opposition will continue. And so he's been sharing with his disciples that uh, he will need to suffer and to die. And Luke's gospel actually shares the detail that Jesus was going up on the mountain to pray. And so I think it's not too much of a leap that Jesus, in praying, would ask God, you know, simply, am I on the right track here? It's not a question we ask so often. And so the voice from heaven says, this is my son. And perhaps that was exactly what Jesus himself needed to hear. Um, Jesus began his ministry and uh, was baptized and Uh, As that happened, God spoke and said, this is my son. And now Jesus again reaches another pivotal moment in his life and ministry where he's convicted he's headed for suffering and death. And the voice speaks again and says, this is my son. And so as I mentioned Thursday, we're going to begin this this prayer course, this eight-week prayer course. And we're using this video series by Pete Gregg, who also... uh, wrote the book How to Pray that I, uh, I'm hoping the whole church is going to read this year. But one thing that Pete Gregg points out is that most often when God speaks to us, God speaks in his words into our identity rather than our destiny. So, uh, for example, we want God to answer questions about where and when and what. We want to know, you know where to go and what to do. We, we want to know when it will happen and we hope it will happen soon. <laughs> But when we ask the where and the when and the what questions, God frequently seems to respond in ways that talk about the who, the how, and the why. So in other words, I I ask for God's guidance in a situation, and God says, you are my child. (laughs) I ask for wisdom to do the right thing, and God says, spend time with me. I ask Uh, why God? And God says, I love you. And so, you know, the voice from heaven, it, it, 
it reveals something about Jesus, but, and it affirms his identity. But it also reveals something about the disciples and their identity, because they hear the voice, and what do they do? They fall on their faces, awestruck. I mean, these disciples have experienced a true glory sighting. The, the reality of things, the true reality bursts onto the scene. And, you know, the disciples, they might spend their days walking and talking with Jesus, their friend. But uh, they and we need to remember that this is the Son of God. And all of the wonder and power and authority and majesty of the Godhead are present within this human being, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the King of glory. And so we, we might go around singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, and rightfully so. But let's not forget that this is what the voice of God does. I mean, have you ever truly been in awe of God? You know, I long for us to come to worship or even just uh, to go through life with an expectancy uh, of that God will awe us, that God will surprise us in some way. And sadly, I think that many people will miss an opportunity to encounter the glory of God. Um, you know, sometime, I, sometime ago, I remember Katie was telling me that she, she came out of a store one day, and you know, it, it had been raining, but uh, the rain had stopped, and uh, as she exited the store, she was encountered with this incredible double rainbow all the way across the sky. And she, she said she just had to stop and say, wow. <laughs> but almost as striking uh, to her as that amazing uh, sight was that most everyone around her was just busying to and from their cars as if the sky were not actively telling the glory of God at that very moment. And God, I hope that I am never so busy that I don't have time to enjoy your glory through creation. I mean, have you ever been in awe of God? And are you able to balance the idea of walking and talking with Jesus, your friend, with the idea of falling to the ground before the sound of God's voice? You know, this is the one uh, of whom the prophet Nahum said, the mountains quake before him and the hills melt. The psalmist says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. And when Ezekiel saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, he fell on his face. You know, Jesus, he, he goes over and he touches the disciples and uh, he says, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone, it says. And I just noticed what Jesus did not say. He, he didn't say there was no reason to be afraid. Uh, no, you get the feeling that the disciples were going to stay on their faces, thank you very much, until the coast was clear. <laughs> until the cloud of God's glory had lifted from that place. Because awe is an appropriate response to a glory sighting, to, to God's holy presence. And, and fear is like awe. And throughout the Bible, we, uh, it's consistently the response of the faithful 
to the presence of God. Uh, God, said, God told Moses, no one can see me and live. <laughs> and so if you find yourself in God's presence, it's worth noting that you might be one glance away from death. <laughs> because our limited, uh, fallible, sinful humanity simply cannot take the fullness of God's glory unmediated. And so here's the shocking thing. The transfiguration shows us that God's glory streams from our friend, Jesus. I mean, look at Jesus and see God's glory. It's as if God has given us darkened eclipse uh, glasses so that we can stare at the sun. And the testimony of Scripture is that if we hold, uh, is that, is that we hold that image of the transfiguration together with another time when God's glory is shown in Jesus, which is in his suffering and death. And so the transfiguration and the crucifixion, they go together. We must learn to stand in awe of the glory of Christ, not only the Christ of the transfiguration and of the resurrection, but also of the cross. At the same time, we need to see the suffering in the transfiguration. I mean, it's not like everything was smooth sailing until Jesus went up the mountain and had this wonderful experience. It's clear to Jesus that there, he is suffering. He will, uh, there's more suffering ahead and not less. But he goes up the mountain to spend time with God. And so just like the rays of uh, sunlight broke through the nastiness of our day on Cat Bell's pointing to a brighter day in the near future. God brings transfiguration to Jesus in the midst of the difficulty, pointing to his ultimate victory. And so what I want to share with you this morning is simply that, you know, perhaps you're experiencing some suffering in your life right now. We have a good, good God, and I don't blame God for suffering But I do note that sometimes seasons of pain and difficulty are where we are best able to hear God's voice and to perceive God's presence. And so by all means, pray for the suffering to end. Pray for the cures. Pray for open doors. Pray that God would light your path. But also take time and listen to the voice of the glory saying, You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. Spend time with me. We have a 40-day season of Lent coming up. There's plenty of time to bring all your suffering to the foot of the cross. But we're not going to get to the resurrection without going through the cross. But bring all your suffering. Stand in awe of a Savior who died for you because the good news is that when we do that, God actually takes our suffering and transfigures it. God turns our suffering into God's own glory.